Welcome, this is Gary Ryan, and welcome to this episode of the Professional Development Series. This episode is titled, Structure Drives Behaviour, a powerful concept. Whether you are a university student, an employee of a large institution, or an elite athlete, the structures that we operate within and use ourselves have a significant influence over our behaviour. Let's look at three examples, one from each of the three domains mentioned, a student, a career professional, and an elite athlete. The student example. Over their first semester at university, a pattern emerges whereby a student constantly hands their assignments in after the due date. The student regularly asks for extensions, and while they are occasionally provided, they are usually refused. The student loses marks because of handing the assignments in past the due date. The student's grades are poor and the student blames the system for not helping him or her to be successful. While the student has an external focus and believes that others should do this and that to help him or her, the chances that their grades will improve is limited. They must first stop and look at the structures that they use for assignment writing and other habits that they have regarding study patterns, class attendance, commencement of writing assignments, etc. For the sake of this example, Let's say that the student regularly waits until the weekend before an assignment is due to start the assignment. Often assignments for different subjects will become due at a similar time in the semester. Why? Because the structure of the semester system dictates that a certain range of weeks will be most logical for assignments to be completed, especially if the structure includes two assignments, a presentation and a final exam at the end of the semester. If you have several subjects with this basic structure, then it is little wonder that the assignments are due at similar times. This is our first example of the concept of structure drives behaviour. The structure of the semester, mixed with the structure of how the marks for each subject are established, dictates when lecturers are likely to determine when an assignment is due. To be able to take effective action, the student must first understand the broader structures at work. In other words, they need to understand how the structure of the semester affects when assignments are due. The student must then adjust their own study structures. An ad hoc approach to study is in itself a structure. For most people, such a structure would be an ineffective one. Changing a structure results in a behavioural change. In this example, the student needs to identify what outcome they want that is, improve grades, and then work back to identify what structures they should adopt to increase the chances that the outcome that they desire will be achieved. Three possible structures could include, number one, commencing assignments as soon as they are announced. Number two, setting aside a certain number of dedicated hours of study per week to each assignment. And number three, only ever asking for extensions under extenuating circumstances such as an illness. For example, with that last one, the student might put in a structure which says, you know what, I'm not going to ask for extensions because every time I ask for extensions, there's a ripple effect to the other subjects. I'm performing worse in them as well. So if I stop asking for extensions and therefore put in other structures so that I ensure that I hand my work in on time, then I'll have a clear conscience and be able to focus on the other subjects when their assignments fall due. Structures need time to be implemented so that they can become habits. Creating new personal structures can be hard because they require personal discipline to be implemented. So engage your friends for support. Let them know what you are trying to do and ask them to be hard on you if they see you slipping back into your old structures. 
now we'll move on to a career professional example. One of our organisational clients includes a large national sales team. While the sales team has been relatively successful over a long period of time, a problem emerged whereby the organisation's management were frustrated by the apparent lack of knowledge sharing and teamwork amongst the sales team. For us this immediately highlighted a probable organisational structure that was driving this behaviour. Our first question to management was, how are the sales team members remunerated? The managers responded, they all have a base salary and then they receive commissions for their sales volume. Their commissions usually far exceed the base salary which is why so many of them are very highly paid. Our second question followed, how are the commissions structured? On sales volume, as we just said, we understand. What is the percentage of individual to team-based commissions, we then asked. Well, it is 100% individually based. There are no team-based commissions. As they answered the last question, the penny dropped. No wonder there was minimal knowledge sharing. The sales team members were effectively 100% in competition with each other. If one sales team member was to share information with another sales team member, then they might risk another sales team member's stealing their client and the subsequent commission. It would take an extraordinary person not to have their behaviour influenced by such a structure. Okay, so we'll change the structure to a team-based commission. That will solve the problem, the management team responded. Whoa, hold your horses. If you want a mutiny, then change the structure as you have suggested. If you want to keep your sales team, then you have to start where they are at and the new structure has to be able to demonstrate that the majority of the team will be better off under a new structure. So you'll need to negotiate a starting point with them. Your overall sales volume will need to increase as a result of increased teamwork. Otherwise, why would you change? So you must be able to demonstrate how your change in structure will result in more money available for commissions. You may have to start it at something like an 85% individual and a 15% team-based commission and experiment over a couple of years with the full involvement of the team until you can find the right balance and the right structure for the outcomes and the behaviours that you desire. This example highlights the power of organisational structures. Often when our first reaction to a behaviour that we don't like is to blame individuals, we should slow ourselves down and ask, what organisational structures might be driving this behaviour? Thirdly, an elite sport example. A sports star was provided with some feedback about his performance that indicated an underlying behaviour that was not in alignment with the stated game-based behavioural standards for all team members. The star had received this feedback on several occasions, but nothing had appeared to change. The behaviour persisted. While a structure existed for the feedback to be provided, which is often an uncomfortable experience, a structure did not exist to back up the feedback. In other words, there wasn't a consequence for not changing this behaviour. The player had effectively learned, if I say sorry, then the discomfort of the feedback will go away and all will be forgiven. I'm a star, so I'll still be playing in the team next game anyway. Because a structure did not exist to back up the feedback, over time, such feedback would hold little if no long-term impact. Yes, it was uncomfortable when the issue was raised, but the discomfort would go away quickly and things would return to normal. Finally, a structural change took place. The player received the feedback and was informed that if the behaviour was to continue again, then he would be dropped to a lower grade until his game-based behaviour improved. 
The player was provided support to introduce some new training structures that would help him improve the required behaviours. Several coaches volunteered to provide the required support. Over time, the player continued to implement the new training structures and his game-based behaviours achieved and exceeded the required standards. In fact, he became the club champion again in that season. The important part of this story is that the player continued with the new training structures and the threat of being dropped was real as the other stars later experienced. The broader playing group has also learned that the new structure was real. No matter who you were, you had to perform to the required game-based behavioural standards. In this example, we see structural change at several levels. The senior coach made a structural change by implementing a consequence to non-conformance to expected game day behaviours, irrespective of star status. Secondly, the player demonstrated that they had heard the feedback provided by his teammates because he did something about it. He introduced some new training structures and maintained those structures so that he could master his behavioural deficiencies. This is just a start on this concept because it is interdependent with mental models and vision. We will continue with more information on this particular topic of structure drives behaviour in future episodes. Once again, if you are interested in receiving more information about organisations that matter, please visit us at orgsthatmatter.com or visit our learning community at studentsthatmatter.ning.com. This is Gary Ryan and thank you for listening.